Uh, I am going to finish up with our last judge in the book of Judges, and uh, we're going to be talking about Samson. I'm not going to ask this question, but first service, I said, hey, what if uh, someone came up to me and said, hey, Scott, you look like Samson. Uh, Would I take it positively or negatively? Someone right over here started laughing as soon as I said, what if someone called me Samson, as if no one would call me Samson. So uh, I get it. I understand. I don't quite look like Samson. And fortunately, I don't live my life like Samson as well. We're going to see that he was a judge uh, that really didn't live for the Lord. I was talking to some bodybuilders here on the way in and how they work, work out five days a week. And you got to work out so you stay strong and so you're able to, to kind of look good. Uh, Samson did none of this. Samson was just built differently. Samson was just built as the strongest guy. Forget the gym, not waking up at 5.30, no protein shakes. He's just built differently, strongest man. And if you're here, a younger person here today, and you never thought the Bible was exciting, you are going to hear some crazy stories in Scripture that you didn't know existed. There will be death, seduction, repentance, murder, people being torn limb from limb, and it's all in a couple chapters here in the book of Judges. And so as we look at Samson, I think Samson is mostly known for Samson and Delilah. If we think about Samson and his strength, we think about Samson and his failure with Delilah. But what I want us to see through Samson's life is God's goal through Samson was to destroy the Philistines' hold on the nation of Israel. You think about the nation of Israel, God's chosen people. God said, listen, I love these people more than anyone else. I will send my son through these people. This is the group of people I like the most. And so God's chosen people, we've seen in the book of Judges that God's raised up 12 different leaders to lead these people and say, listen, I am your leader. If you follow me, God will be with us. Uh, When we turn our back on God, other nations will come in and take us captive. We'll repent. And it seems like every 20, 30 to 40 years, Israel is doing good, and then they kind of turn their back on God and start worshiping other idols. I don't get this at all. Like, why would you go, like, to another nation, another country, and bring back a little doll and start worshiping it? I don't understand this. Lots of questions when I get to heaven, Uh, although those people probably wouldn't have made it to heaven if they're worshiping other idols. But some of them that repented in turn, I'll ask them. So, with Samson, trying to understand how God would work through such an awful person, if someone came up to you and said, you look like Samson, just like they said to me, uh, first of all, we take it as a compliment. But after today, I don't think you'll take it as a compliment. You'll take it as a piece of disrespect, like, why would you call me something that filthy, that awful? We're going to be jumping around in chapters 13 through 16, reading a few verses in each. But I want to set the stage for what one commentary wrote, and it says this, The Lord's design for Samson paralleled his design for Israel. Israel was intended to be a holy people because their Lord was holy. But the history and lack of faithfulness to their calling was matched by Samson's career as he disobeyed every single one of the vows made on his behalf. From the womb on, Samson is a picture of Israel chosen for holiness but defiled by his own sinful actions. And so we're going to pick up the story here with his birth announcement, chapter 13, verses 1 through 5. 
And the people of Israel, again, did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Guys, if you've been with us in the book of Judges, that's in there like every single chapter. It seems like every time we, we, we tell a story, that story ends, and then we see this verse again. And the people did Israel uh, did evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord gave them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. There was a certain man of Zorah of the tribe of the Danites, whose name was Manoah. And his wife was barren and had no children. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Behold, you are barren and have not born children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Therefore be careful and no drink of wine or strong drink. Eat nothing unclean, for behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. No razor shall come upon his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb, and he shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines." That is the key reference right there. Samson's goal in life was, through God, to save the nation of Israel through the stronghold that the Philistines had on them. It's maybe not the way that you or I would have chosen. Samson definitely goes about a different way through the power of God and how this happens. But we see an exciting time. Manoah and his wife were not able to have children. And the angel of the Lord appears to them and says, Listen, you will have a son. And not only will you have a son, which was exciting, but he will be a great leader, and he will serve me. And as he serves me, he will lead you out from underneath the Philistines' oppression. Once again, I think that would be exciting as a parent to hear that, that a family that didn't know they could have kids finally able to have a kid. And to know your kid would be a good kid, like he'd be a leader. And then I'd think, well... He's probably got to be 20, 25 years old before he starts leading. So does that mean the Philistines will have us under oppression for another 20, 25 years? God, why couldn't this come quicker? But yet we see the excitement with the family. And he says, listen, I want you as your son to give him the Nazarite vow. The Nazarite vow was very simple. Uh, you could choose to take this oath. And sometimes men, sometimes women would take this oath for a period of time, maybe a year, two years. Some people did it for a longer extended period of time. Three times in scripture we see Samuel and Samson and John the Baptist where their parents were told, hey, your kid will take this Nazarite vow. And it says with that, the kid shall have no strong drink, no alcohol, no wine, no strong drink. It says number two, he shall touch nothing unclean. Very specifically, it doesn't matter if it's an, a dead animal, uh, you stay away from it. If your family member was having a funeral, you would not go to that funeral because of the Nazarite vow. You couldn't be around the dead. You couldn't be around unclean. And then number three, you shouldn't cut your hair for any reason, any purpose at all. I have taken steps one and three of the Nazarite vow. Uh, step three is pretty easy for me. Step two, I love dead cows and dead pigs and dead chickens and any kind of meat there is, uh, bring it to me. So we see the Nazarite vow, no strong drink, don't go near dead bodies or anything unclean, don't cut your hair. And chapter 16, verse 17 later on tells us his, his hair was an outward symbol of the dedication to the Lord. So his hair wasn't the actual strength he had, it was the outward symbol of the strength he had. Now we see later on when his hair is cut, not to spoil the story for you, uh, story for you, but we do see him lose his strength. Uh, Samson, we'll see, is, does these awful things, but we read in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 32, that in the midst of his sinful acts, he was one of the most faithful people to the Lord 
at times. He's written in the Hall of Faith in Hebrews chapter 11. And then once again, I think about the Nazarite vow. We don't do that necessarily, but I think in Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, it's kind of a vow that you and I still take place every day as we serve the Lord that says we would present our bodies as a living sacrifice to the Lord. We're not to be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And so what we're going to look today, over the next couple of hours, we're going to look at the life of Gideon. If you're first time here, I'm just kidding. It's not a couple hours. It won't be too bad. But we're going to look in Judges here, and we'll be skipping around. But what I want us to see here, if you've taken notes, point number one, see God work. See God work. I think sometimes we see things in our lives that don't make sense to us, and we don't see God working till later on. And I think if we're going to read this story the way it's presented, unless we're constantly looking to see how God is working, we're going to look and see this is, this is bad, 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 until we understand, understand that God's goal through Samson was to destroy the Philistines' stronghold on Israel. But he's going to do it in different ways that probably you and I would not have chosen. So we are going to see God work. God's accomplishing his goal through Samson, starting in chapter 14, verse 8. After some days, he returned to take her. This is not Delilah. This is first instance with a woman that he was kind of betrothed to. They were engaged. They had not yet consummated the marriage. But he says, I'm going to go take her. And he turned aside to see a carcass of a lion. And behold, there was a swarm of bees in the body of a lion and honey. He scraped it out into his hands and went on eating it as he went. He came to his father and mother and gave them some to eat as well, and they ate. But he did not tell them that he had scraped the honey from the carcass of a lion. Guys, what was step number one with the Nazarite vow? Or step two, do not touch anything unclean. Do not touch anything dead. Does Samson know he should not be touching the carcass of a dead lion? Absolutely. But the honey was sweet, and it tasted good, and he wanted some. So he took it. And then I noticed, children, he didn't tell mom and dad because he didn't want mom and dad to know what he had done. So he hid it from mom and dad. And when he gets there, uh, it says his, his father went down to the women and Samson prepared a feast there for so the young men used to do. Samson prepared a feast so like the young men used to do. Guys, if we're just reading over that, we think that maybe this is a Bible study. Mom made mastacholi, and we're getting ready to open up the book of Acts and see how God works. If we think about reading this verse, it says that this is more like a drinking party. Think about, hey, a bachelor party where everyone's flying out to Vegas, and what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. This is what Samson was hosting, a drinking party for such as the young men used to do. Does it specifically say that Samson drank? It doesn't. But if I'm going to match up what the rest of his life was like, I'm guessing he probably got wasted during this party that he threw. Once again, what was number one of the Nazarite vow? Do not drink any alcohol or anything strong like that. Samson, once again, is failing. We see there's three things he's not supposed to do, and we're not very far into his story, and he's already failed at two of them. But we're going to see God work. We're going to see God work in three different things that he does that God is going to work in and through him. 
It continues on there in verse 10 or 11. It says, uh, um, Samson prepared the feast. They had the party. And as soon as people saw him, they brought 30 companions to be with him. And Samson said to them, now let me put a riddle to you. If you can tell me what it is within seven days of the feast and you find out, then I will give you 30 linen garments and 30 changes of clothes. But if you cannot tell me what it is, then you shall give me 30 linen garments and 30 changes of clothes. And they said to them, put your riddle that we may hear. The first thing we see is the riddle. Under point number one, the riddle. I think some of us could go home and get 30 linen garments, 30 changes of clothes out of our closet that don't fit us anymore and just give them away, and that wouldn't be a big deal. But for Samson, there wasn't a lot of, like, people didn't have a wardrobe. They would have had a couple outfits, but not a lot of different wardrobes. And so he says, I'm going to give you this riddle at this bachelor party, and for seven days you can figure it out. And what he does, he's, he says the riddle, what is sweeter than honey and what is stronger than a lion, giving reference to this experience that he had. Remember the experience he had where he touched the carcass of a lion and got honey out of it? This is the riddle that he's, he's sharing. And how many people know that he got the honey from the carcass? One person. He didn't tell mom and dad. He didn't tell his girlfriend. He didn't tell anybody. So the only thing Samson has to do for seven days is to keep his mouth shut, and he's going to win 30 changes of clothes, which I guess I don't know what he would do. He would sell them. Who knows? But verse number 15, the people come to his girlfriend and say, persuade him or we will burn you and your family. Pretty serious. This, this, this girl says, I need to figure out what the riddle is. And verse 16, she persuades him, don't you love me? Don't you love me anymore, Samson? Can't you just tell me the riddle? I'll, I'll keep it quiet. I won't tell them. And for six days, he keeps quiet. But then he tells her. And we see that he loses the battle. He loses the, the riddle. Uh, we, we had a comedian in here about three weeks ago, and uh, he was saying some very funny things. How many people were here for the comedian? I love where we can laugh. We can talk about real issues, but still laugh and enjoy who we are. I think making fun of ourselves from time to time, because we all make mistakes, right? We all have problems, and I think the quicker we can realize that we're not perfect, I love how the comedian brought about some good points talking about marriage and made us laugh. But he's like, I think God has a sense of humor. He's like, he made marriage. Like, marriage has got to be a joke. It's not, but he's, just bear with me. He goes, look, God got together and said, I'm going to create man and I'm going to create women who are totally different from each other, who are wired in different ways, who think differently, act differently, want different things, and I'm going to force them to live together for the rest of their lives? Like, isn't that kind of funny? I mean, it's not. It's God's way, should you choose to be married, for sure. But I think about that. You know, one of the greatest studies we've done here is a Love and Respect. It's a marriage series. And just talking about that, that we're wired differently, right? I remember, like, early on in marriage, and we're way more mature uh, than we, we ever have been, except maybe we're not, but sometimes we are, right, hon? Yeah. I think she rolled her eyes. We'll see. But early on, what you learn in marriage is guys want sex, girls want love, all right? So here's the game we play 
guys will buy chocolate, we'll, we'll show love, we'll do what we have to do to get what we really want, which is the sex. Girls will give sex so that they can really get what they want, which is the feeling of love. Now, that's not always the case. Please, you grow in your relationship. But I believe when those two things are being met, not out of selfish reasons, but of actual love and wanting a relationship that's better, when those two things are writing, working in the right area, I think it's awesome. You understand what your wife's needs are. You understand what your husband's needs are. Even though we're wired differently, we act differently and think differently. If you're in here today and you're not married and you're thinking about being married, I would just encourage you, marriage is difficult. It's worth it, but marriage is difficult. Don't make marriage harder on yourself than it should be. Don't marry someone outside of the faith. Listen, find someone who's focused on the Lord Jesus Christ just as much as you are focused on the Lord Jesus Christ and run together. Marriage is difficult. Don't make it harder on ourselves. Amen? Amen. All right, we're going back to the story here. It says the lady came to Samson and she nagged him. Ladies, I'm not going there, but I'm just saying. You have a power of persuasion, and I would say use it in the right way. Nag your husband to church, right? Nag your husband to believe in himself. Nag your husband to bring the family to church. Nag your husband to do these positive things. And ladies, remember, if a husband says he's going to do something, there's no need to remind him every six months. We've got this, okay? All right, here we go. We see the first thing was the riddle. Um, verse 19 says he loses the riddle. And so Samson goes down to the next city and kills 30 people, takes their garments, and pays the debt that he just lost. This seems weird. This seems wrong. Why would this happen? Why is Samson killing? What is God's goal through Samson? To destroy the Philistine stronghold on the nation of Israel. And he begins it by doing it 30 people at a time. 30 people gone from the Philistines. The next thing we see are the foxes. The second one are the foxes. Chapter 15, verses 1 through 4. Samson's upset. He leaves. He's going to get back at, uh, at some of these people. This is after some days, at the time of the wheat harvest. So the wheat harvest, I mean, you've planted. It's time for the wheat to be brought up, and you're getting ready to harvest. Samson went to visit his wife, although they were betrothed, they weren't actually married, married. He brings a young goat to give to his, uh, his father-in-law and says, I will go be with my wife in the chamber. But her father would not allow him to go in. And her father said, I really thought you hated us, because he killed 30 of our friends. So I gave, him to your, I gave her to your companion. Is not her younger sister more beautiful than she is? Please take her instead. And Samson said to them, this time I shall be innocent in regard to the Philistines when I do to them harm. So Samson went and caught 300 foxes, took torches, and he turned them tail to tail and put a torch between each pair of their tails. Guys, I know when you guys get to heaven, you want to talk to Peter and see how he walked on water. You want to talk to like uh, Adam and Eve and see what the garden was like. You want to talk to Mary and see what it was like to like raise baby Jesus. While you guys are in line for them, I'm going to find Samson. I want to say, did God lay this on your heart to capture 300 foxes? 
how did you capture 300 foxes? I know when I see a fox in my backyard, I'm scared. I'm bringing the dog inside because I don't want bad things to happen to, to it or me. But how do you contain 300 foxes? How do you tie them tail to tail? And who came up with the idea of tying them tail to tail and then sending them through the wheat fields to burn your enemy's wheat harvest? Once again, God's goal through Samson, destroy the Philistines. How is he doing that? Taking out their food supply with 300 foxes tied together. And it says that he was so angry with him that Samson tore them limb from limb. Think about this. He just grabbed an arm, ripped it off. Grabbed a leg, ripped it off. Samson, incredible strength that was upon him. How would he be able to do this? The Spirit of the Lord was upon him. The next thing we see is number the third point there. Not the third point, but under the first point, we see the jawbone. Chapter 15, verses 14 and 15. He's pretty upset. When he came to Lehi, the Philistines came shouting to meet him. And then the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, and the ropes that were on his arms became as flax, as if it had caught fire, and his bounds melted off his hands. And he found a fresh jawbone of a donkey and put his hand and took it, and with it, he struck down 1,000 men. So after the harvest fields are burned down, they come and they capture Samson. Samson's like, sure, do whatever you want to do. Take me hostage. All right, we got you with your people. I found something. I'm going to start killing people. And he kills 1,000 men. Once again, cannot 1,000 people just jump on him and just like destroy him? Can you not get rocks from a distance and throw them? Honestly, if you were a person 905 in line, and you saw 904 people in front of you die, would you not get out of line and be like, you know what, maybe today's not the day? How could a thousand people not destroy one man? What was Samson's goal? God used Samson to destroy the stronghold that Israel had upon him, that the Philistines had on Israel. And this time he does it a thousand at a time. How does that happen? It doesn't happen by working out more. It happens by what it says here. It said in chapter 15, verse 14, the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. This isn't the first time. In chapter 14, it talks about this young lion coming to get Samson and roaring at him and coming to kill him. And it says the Spirit of the Lord came upon Samson and he took that lion and just literally ripped it apart. Like took the jaws and just ripped it apart and killed it with his bare hands because the Spirit of the Lord was upon him. You know, I think that we serve a powerful God, amen? And in the midst of the chaos that's going on around us, we know that research tells us that uh, fewer and fewer people are coming to church. We see that people that do come to church come less often. We see churches closing their doors and, and really living in a post-Christian nation where the morals and values that we live in today are not the morals and values that the church would align with anymore. And I think about all these things that are going negative and I think about some positive things that are happening here in the last six months, just in our own little area here. You know what I think about? I think about how uh, just starting this year in the Olentangy School District, we're teaching the Word of God to children, right? There's 300 people right now. It'll be 1,000 soon. 300 people in Olentangy. It's coming to Big Walnut, hopefully Westerville. And they're teaching the Bible Project, which is the same Bible lessons. If you go down the hall, hang a left, and go to Sunday school for the kids, the same lessons our kids are learning here on Sunday morning. These elementary students are learning. The Word of God's getting out. I think about three and a half hours south of us at a little university called Asbury. 
that some of you visited. My wife visited there last week. And I asked her, I said, what was it like? And I love when she says this. She goes, well, the speaker wasn't as good as you. I'm like, yes. <laughs> now, she simply said, there was, no, there was no show. There was no program. It was simple. There was a pastor up there asking people to confess their sin. People get right with the Lord. There wasn't this big musical performance. It was a dude up there with a guitar and a couple other college students singing. But the whole congregation was praying. And I think when the Spirit of the Lord falls upon this, and you can call it whatever you want to call it, but when the Spirit of the Lord was there, it wasn't other people praying for other people. It was people praying for themselves, God, revive me. It was just a group of people that in the midst of the darker days, people said, listen, I don't want what society is offering. I want Jesus. And I have Jesus, but I want more of Jesus in my life. I think about the public schools. I think about the Asbury Revival. And I think about this movie. I don't endorse movies. But this Jesus Revolution movie, I don't agree with 100% of everything that's in there, but just the documentary series of what happened out in California where people who were written off by the church, whether we wouldn't want people like smelly, stinky, with no shoes, people in the church, when they found Jesus. I was talking to an individual this morning. He goes, that was me. He goes, I tried every drug there was from the early 70s to 75. He goes, I was that hippie person. And all of a sudden, God just got a hold of me with that Jesus music. And Joe Stoll was telling me that he used to have a record, whatever a record is, but he would play this record. And he wore out the, the, the vinyl on it because he listened to it so much and the impact it had on him. I thought, what if we get a little bit of God here? What if we get a little bit of that Holy Spirit? We got the Holy Spirit living inside of us. Don't get me wrong. I'm not taking that away. But what if the Lord really poured out his spirit here in 2023 on Genoa? I want to say that he's kind of cracked that door already. For some reason, we baptized 25 people in the last six weeks. We're getting ready to baptize two more. We did one first, first service. Almost every service this year, we've baptized someone. I don't know why. I don't know. But I'm saying I see stuff that's going on other places, and I want it here with me. I hope we all get to experience that as well. Lots of great things that are going on. The Spirit of the Lord was upon him. God's goal working through Samson was... Oh, guys, I've said it seven or eight times. we got to get it by now, right? To destroy the stronghold the Philistines had on Israel. And so Samson is here. Samson, if he were at church here today, we would not allow him to lead a life group. We would not allow him to be an usher. We wouldn't put him in the parking lot. We wouldn't want him talking to anybody. We wouldn't want him talking to the women. We wouldn't want him talking, beating up the guys. We wouldn't want him around. But God worked through him. God used him. What's different about Samson than any other judge, most judges we see in Scripture, they're like, all right, here's me. God has called us to do this. Come on, 100,000 men, let's go to battle. Remember Gideon? Gideon had like 32,000 men and said, that's too much. God said, all right, here's 10,000 men. God said, that's too much. And then Gideon had 300 he went to battle. Samson's just the one-man wrecking crew. Samson doesn't need an army he is the representation of God's army by himself. And so what I think we can learn, one, is we're going to see how God works through Samson. I want you to also see how God works in your life. But number two, I want us to learn from others' mistakes. Point number two is learn from others' mistakes. 
I love church life. When you guys make fun of me and say I only work one day a week, that's fine because the other six days are awesome. I don't consider it work when I'm, when I'm praying with people, when I'm, when I'm preparing messages, when I get up and tell you about Jesus. This is not a work day. This is a blessing. Monday mornings with your complaints, those are work days, right? Right, right? Yeah. Music was a little too loud. Music was a little soft. It was a little too hot in the sanctuary. It was a little too cold. Okay. We'll figure it out. But what I love is going to talking to other pastors and other churches and asking, hey, what's working for you? Like, what, what's God really blessing in your church? Also, hey, what's not working for you? <laughs> what did you try that is not working? And let me say what's working, what's not working. The message of Jesus Christ will always be the same message. That's not going to change, right? I learned this my first lesson in ministry at Liberty University back in 1998. It says, listen, the gospel of Jesus Christ is a gift that will never change. That is wrapped up. It is there it is a gift. If someone tries to add to the gospel, they're wrong. If someone tries to take away from the gospel, they're wrong. If someone says this part of scripture doesn't apply anymore, that part of scripture isn't relevant, no, no, they're wrong. The message of Jesus Christ is wrapped up in this gift. But we're going to take this gift, and we're going to set it in a wagon, and we're going to carry it to people. That wagon has to change. That wagon, that radio flyer can't be the same radio flyer 50 years later. And when I'm talking about the message of Jesus Christ, we're online. So you can have church here on Sunday morning, or you can come back on a Tuesday night and watch church service and be a part. We shut down our building for a few weeks. You know what? The message stayed the same, but we got a lift. We got some radio station. I don't know how we figured that out. And you guys came in the parking lot, and we still shared the good news of Jesus Christ. We got QR codes. We got all kinds of things. that Things will change, but what I want to learn is from other people's mistakes. And what we're going to look at today through Samson's life is learning through other people's mistakes, that we don't make the same mistakes that Samson does. There's a great verse in Proverbs 26, verse 11. It says, a dog, As a dog returns to its vomit, so is a fool who repeats his folly. And if we keep going back to the same mistakes over and over and over and over again, we're just like Samson. We're just like Samson, like, why did you tell her the secret? You had this wrapped up, you had the riddle, you had the bet one. Why did you not stop? And we see he made one mistake, and that's all right, you make one mistake. But here's the next few mistakes that briefly in chapter 16, verse 4 and 5. After this, he loved a woman from the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. And the lords of the Philistines came to her and said, seduce him and see where his great strength lies and by what means they may overpower him, that we may bind him to humble him, that we each will give you 1,100 pieces of silver. Uh, for those number of people, 1,100 pieces of silver times five different people offering it, it's 5,500 pieces of silver. Most common day wage would, person would make like, one, uh, one coin of silver per month, maybe 10 per year. And so you're asking them, hey, I'm, if you seduce him and give us the answer, we're going to give you 550 times your annual, annual salary. Uh, minimum wage in Ohio is 10-10. That's about $20,000 a year. So someone making $20,000 a year was offered $11 million simply to find out where he got his strength from. And so you can see that Delilah was highly motivated. $11 million will come my way if I can just tell his secret. 
And she says, Samson, in her nice female voice, where does your strength come from and how can we stop your strength? And he says, oh, just get seven fresh bowstrings. And she goes and tells these other people, hey, come and ambush him. When he falls asleep, I'm going to tie him up in these seven fresh bowstrings. She ties him up. They come to ambush him. He laughs, rips those out, and hurts the men. Twice he's told women where his strength came from, or a riddle, and both times they've turned their back on him and told someone else. A couple verses later, she says, well, why don't you tell me the truth? Do you not love me? And he says, oh, no, you need to find new ropes that have never been used. And the same thing, she goes and tells the men, they ambush him with these new ropes that he's tied up. He breaks those new ropes. Samson, why don't you love me? Okay, this time, the third time, I promise, just weave my hair in a loom with fabric and I won't have any strength. And so that's what she does. And she tells people, they come and ambush him. And once again, he just breaks free. And finally, she just breaks him down after nagging and repeating in verse 16, chapter 16. Samson, come on, where does this strength come from? At that point, he says, it's my hair. You cut my hair and I don't have any more strength. And I believe that Samson fully knew that Delilah was going to go tell his enemy, listen, cut his hair. That that's where this comes from, cut his hair. And as soon as his hair is gone, that's where his strength will be gone as well. And that happens, and we see that the people come and ambush him. And I think we see the saddest verse in all of Scripture. It's chapter 16, verse 20. And she said, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as other times and shake them off free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. Listen, as believers, we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us that was given us in the New Testament. The Holy Spirit will never leave us. We can never do anything that will separate us from God's love. We have God inside of us. Amen? But there are times where we just have God's favor right? You just look at somebody that, that is, uh, just has God's favor upon them for some reason, and we don't know why. And I think there's times in our life where people will have that favor upon them you don't understand, but because God loves them so much, if they're not living for the Lord, God has to shake up their life a little bit and get them right back to where they started, get them right back in a relationship, and that's where Samson was. Samson was in a point where he wasn't living for the Lord, And so he gave up his third Nazarite vow by cutting his hair, allowing his hair to be cut in the middle of the night while he was sleeping and didn't know what was going on. And he loses all of his strength. And the Philistines come in and they take him, they gouge out his eyes, making sure that if he ever got strong again, at least they couldn't see him. He couldn't see them. And it says they put him down like in a dungeon and made him kind of work as a slave. Sometime later, they brought him out for this big festival they had in this big building. And they put him out there, and they put him between these two pillars. And if you know the story, Samson repents. Samson just doesn't say, God, be with me. Samson repents. And so what repentance is, is I'm walking this way, and I shouldn't be doing the things I'm doing. But not only do I stop doing those things, but I completely turn around and start doing the things I should be doing. So Samson is brought to a low level, says, listen, God, I'm sorry. But can you give me strength one more time? Can you allow me to die at this place with a little bit of peace? Can you give me strength that as I knock these pillars down, 
that something good may come of this. And God still works. So it says Samson was there and he pushed those pillars over and the building came falling, falling down on him and it crushed him and it killed him. But it says it also killed more people in there, more Philistines than Samson killed his entire life. It's an interesting work of God, but what was God's goal through Samson? To destroy the stronghold the Philistines had on Israel. God's still working. God's still doing stuff. What is God doing for you and I today? You know, I've talked about some of these things that are going on in Asbury and the movies and public schools. I think we're at a point where I want a little bit of that as well. And so I'm going to ask point number three. Let's pray for revival. Let's pray for revival. Our goal here at the church, we exist to make Jesus Christ known to the world. That's simple. We do a lot of fun things in the midst of it. We want Jesus Christ known. And this past week, I was talking about as believers, we're doing that, we're making Jesus Christ grown. We're on our own journey, our own progression. And Pastor J.D. Greer shared this story as we're going through the book of Romans. He goes, I believe there's three types of faith that, that you can go through. And he's referencing Jonah. But he goes, the first type of faith is a faith of propriety. I fully believe that if you live the way that Scripture tells you to live, you're going to be better off. If you live the way the world tells you to live, it might be fun for a season, but eventually it's not going to be good for you. I think that as we obey God, our life becomes better. And that's where we start as believers. Hey, I've got a good life because I'm serving the Lord. But I think we move to that faith of what he calls desperation. Where we see that, hey, maybe everything's not right in my life. Things aren't going the way I want them to be. I have problems. I have sickness. I have disease. I have problems. But God, you're still faithful and I still love you. And that's a huge jump from that first one where I love God when things are good to a huge jump where I'm faithful to God even in the midst of bad things in my life. That's a huge progression, but it's where we need to get. And he says, finally, the last one you want to get to is, is the faith of sufficiency. Well, God, you're all I need. And I think it was Corey Tin Boom that says, until God is all that you have, that's when you find out that God is all that you ever needed. And I think about this progression in our life. Do we really come to God and say, God, you're all I need? Or do we say, God, I want this, I need that, please allow this to happen, be with that, or God, you're all that I need. 